buzz us right out the gate marty well i can't well who says where's the rule the buzz rules the buzz rules well you're gonna have to print those out for me along with our mission statement hey how does the b get to school how does the b get to school i don't know jared how does the b get to school he rides the buzz (laughs) (laughs) thank you i'll be here all night did you have that ready just in case i buzzed you no, but it came to me pretty quick. Okay. A lot quicker than most things. Uh, I'd like to say you made it up, but I know you didn't. No, I didn't. You did not. Well, the reason I decided to buzz is because I'm looking at my phone, and I've been having this strange issue with my battery on my phone, and it looks like it's charging, and it has that little lightning bolt, like mm-hmm. Harry Potter on his head. That's a good sign. Yeah, but it doesn't charge, and it went from like 13 to 9. I thought, I better get my buzz in now. Oh, no. I'll have to do it verbally, or I'll grab the red ruler <laughs> later. <laughs> So. <laughs> Input buzz here. <laughs> verbal, verbal a buzz. A, verbal, a verbal buzz? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two, season two of Outside the Mic. That's right. I'm Jarrett Weimer. And I'm Martin Meyer. This is where we banter all matters music. Banter all matters music and mostly what matters the most. The things that matter are musical. Right on. Yes. We've had a lot of fun. Um, this this season, we've really started to up our game promoting and marketing our podcast. And so we've gotten our cool little business cards here in the mail. We've uh, been working on some promotional videos. It's been a lot of fun. It's it's a lot of work. We've noticed that, it, you know, you have to really put in the time and the effort for it to pay off. But uh, for our podcast, I don't know why you're laughing. This is good. This is it. They like a lot of work. I was like, yeah, <laughs> a lot and, of work. and we're still doing it. And in spite of the fact that that's a lot of work, yeah. that's good. I'm proud of us. Yeah, it's a learning curve. I mean, always, but yeah, it's good. It's good. Well, and check us out in in uh, in relation to that amount of work. Uh, check it out on YouTube. We're going to have some stuff on there and we're going to start sneaking some little uh video treats in there as well yeah. so and you can find uh here soon you'll be able to find all of our recent episodes load uploaded to youtube um it's what we're working on right now anyways yeah they're not all there are they no not all recent there. well recent ones the recent will ones will be the previous from season one are not on there yet okay and i doubt they'll be on there by monday come releasal so there's that a little speculation into the future little speculation tidbit and as long as we're speculating we have a couple things i don't think sharon has been spotted and after we realized that we had lost sharon we then realized we'd lost odie (gasps) odie's gone don't act like you don't know that he's gone, Jarrett. You lost him? No, Jarrett. By yourself? All by yourself? You lost him? You don't know where he went? You really want to You want to make what that day accusation, was this? that allegation I think this was a sad point? You are the weekend guy, right? Well, I don't think that was ever actually established Well, 100% whether or not I was the weekend guy or not. <laughs> but, you know, there was a possibility that we're not, we're not going to <clears throat> jump to any conclusions at this point, but he was in Spain, right? Oh. <gasps> He was spotted in Spain with me. So you forgot to bring him home. That's not what I was saying, Jared. That's you, not what I was, was saying. Was that suitcase just a little lighter on the way back there, Martin? <laughs> yeah, but how much does he weigh? <laughs> 0.5 uh, yeah, <laughs> ounces. So anyway, if you're an outsider and you happen to know anything about the whereabouts of Odie, let us know. We'll, we'll clue you in a little bit more on how that whole uh, escapade I guess I'll call it an escapade. It's an escapade. We're going on an adventure now, are yeah. we? <laughs> Is that like escapades? Was that an Olympic thing, like the ice escapades or something? The ice capades. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a different thing then, Oh, okay. I guess. Well, there's our first word for today. What does escapade mean? And then also look up ice capades, because I'm sure <laughs> I'm not the first one to use that. I don't, okay. I, don't, I really don't think I need to look up ice capades, but if you want to and you want to bring it on to an, an escapade is an act or incident involving excitement, daring, 
our adventure. So that was pretty appropriate. Pretty appropriate. You ever find that, though, where you actually use a word frequently in conversation, and then if somebody says, what does that mean? You, it's hard to actually sometimes give an accurate definition. Oh, yeah. because you're you That know. happens to me all the time. It's because I don't actually know the definition. <laughs> yeah, see, that's different with you, because we've established <laughs> that. You, you I just use know. words, and it sounds good. And I think it, you, can, you, you can say anything, and as long as you have enough confidence behind what you're saying, what yeah. you're projecting, <laughs> yeah. people just believe it. I mean... Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously, that is your, your your approach to it, and I'm glad that you do that. And you Fake do it until you make it, baby, um, right? That's <laughs> right. That's right. That's what we're talking about. Well, cool. We've got a, a couple of shout-outs uh, to give out. First, we want to shout-out to Todd Erskine. He shared our most recent Garth Gaines episode, and it was kind of cool how it worked out. He said that uh, just a few days before he listened to the episode, he was trying to explain to somebody uh, about the Chris Gaines alter ego no. with Garth Brooks. Yeah. And so when he heard it, he was like, wow, crazy. Thanks for the, the episode, guys. So shout out to Todd for the crazy. What, what was the word you called? Uh, escapade. <laughs> <laughs> no, Sorry. from what you used to use a word, it was. It was uh, in relation to shouting not out, not serendipitous, or to, but oh, it synchronicity. Was synchronicity, synchronicity. Yes, that's it. Well, See, was, I'm learning. I, <laughs> I was almost there. You were almost there. Well, and that was exactly my thought when you just brought this up. I'm just going, wow. Here we go already. Just two see two episodes in to season two, and we're starting to get that synchronicity again. Yeah. That's that blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, what are the odds? Because Todd's really, really. He's good. an outsider. Yeah, he's an outsider. He's a really dedicated listener. Likes the show. We're we're yeah. thrilled about that. And now he had a synchronistic event. Yeah. You, didn't he have another one too? There was a word. We, fact check. No, there was a word we had used, and it was in some episode. And then I think he said something about he had just had. I, this is weird. I'm having a little I think flashback. I, re- I think I remember what we talked was, was it? What was the word used? It was one of your big words that you were... It was. Yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to think about it. Those big words for you, like, twisted or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, we'll have to look that up. I think that is pretty incredible. But also, before we forget, didn't we have... We took a vote and we came up with a name for our shout-outs, and they weren't shout-outs. Oh. They were called Outsider Spotlight. Oh, the Outsider Spotlight. Well, first up in Outsider Spotlight would be Todd Erskine this time. Right. I like that. I forgot about that. Thank okay. you. Good idea. If that was the winner, I'm not positive it was, but I think it might have been. It sounds so. It sounds good. Okay. <clears throat> All in favor, say aye. Aye. We're good. Yeah, okay, moving on. on. We've got our second Outsider Spotlight. Is uh, We, we kind of want to do a local shout out a little bit here. It's uh, Gary Baker and the radio station KZMX. Right on. Yeah, he's he's been listening and just an awesome... Uh, show that he puts on good selection of songs renegade radio i like that he's yes. just got a very good repertoire of of songs that he puts out and uh you know one one minute you're listening to black keys the next minute you're listening to the eagles you turn around and he's playing some some modern stuff so it's pretty cool absolutely i'm i'm feeling so incredibly fortunate to have that local station back if just a quick history on at least my experience living here it was a country station Quite a while ago, KZMX. I think, KZ right. I think yeah. yeah, when I first came, and then uh, Gary was on there, and he was playing. I don't know. If I, we'll have to ask him. It changed over to being more classic rock, and I loved it. Well, then something happened where the station decided they wanted to just do the whatever <clears throat> it is, the streaming type radio, where you don't sure. actually have so many live. So we kind of lost it as a. You could tune it in locally, mm-hmm. but we did not have that local feel that local flavor to it and thank god whatever happened gary's back in there and it's so easy for me to jump in whatever vehicle we have and just tune into kzmx and there's always going to be something playing that i like yeah absolutely and and he blows my mind sometimes because there'll be songs like which i might touch on a little later is there's a band called stars and i don't know if you've ever heard of stars i don't think i have well there's a song i may tell you a story today if we have time if not, it'll be uh, another episode down the road. But there's a song called Cherry Baby mm. by a band Stars. And he played that. And I've heard the song and I love the song. And I couldn't remember who it was by. So I had to look it up. But thanks for playing. Actually, it's Cherry, Cherry Baby. So it's spelled Cherry, but it's Cherry Baby. Great Cherry song. Cherry Baby. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll play that yeah. song. Yeah. Anyways, thanks, Gary. We love your Thank show. You. 
KZMX is awesome. We support you. Mm-hmm. It's great. Listen in. Tune in to 96.9? 96.7. 96.7. Yeah, yeah, my bad. 96.7. If you're in the area, Hot Springs, Custer, anywhere around our town, you can tune into KZMX. Right on? Yeah. Right on? Right on. Well, that's all for Outsider Spotlight, Marty. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you <laughs> next. Oh, the spotlight. Okay. The shortest episode yet. <laughs> it's a 10 minute or. Oh, okay. Right on. Well, we're not done yet. Okay. I think we're going to do things a little different. I'm going to go first today, if that's cool with you. That is cool with me. I think it's good to, you know, flip things around. Yeah. We'll flip it and flap it. Flop it. Flop it. Right on. Bop it. Pull Pip it, it. Twist it. Bop it. <laughs> I could never play that thing. Uh, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah, slap it, twist slap it, it, bop twist it. it, bop it. There we go. Just yeah. did a, another outsider spotlight for a game <laughs> that we're now endorsing. So here yeah, we go. there we go. So we're not getting paid for any of these shows. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. But boy, we will someday, I sure, bet. Sure, yeah. yeah. We're not in it for the money. It's to, it's to have all. fun, talk about music. Yeah. Okay, so... I think I can go into it, right? Is that cool? You might as I well mean, dive in. You got did the, I forget anything? I guess you've got something that I have no clue what you have, but you I'm have no clue. To it. Yeah. Do you ever have a clue? Sometimes. Oh, okay. Rarely, but <laughs> <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> I like it. Mm-hmm. So it kind of goes along the idea of the alter ego that we talked about last episodes with uh, Garth Brooks, Chris Gaines. Oh, you're following that thread. Yeah. So to speak. Um, okay. I want to touch on one that I was going to talk about, but I think I can just briefly mention it. Um, so I had looked up some alter egos, and the one I had found was Lady Gaga had appeared on a, uh, what was it, uh, a music awards show. She mm-hmm. had appeared as uh, Joe Calderon, I think. It, anyways, it was a man that she had dressed up to be right. and play. He, he, she, she, as he, performed one of her songs, and, and uh, there's a video of it. People in the crowd didn't get it. They were like, what is going on? And I mean, there's there's faces of like Justin Bieber with some, they're like very puzzled, confused. So that huh. was one example of alter ego. It just doesn't sound like alter egos ever really work out for artists. <laughs> you know, I thought that's the one you were going to be going with. So no, not, that's, we're not that's going already, with yeah, that's already shed a little more light on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, just before you, you dive into it too, and I, I think I probably read this afterwards, but there's so many different approaches to the whole alter ego oh, sure. thing. And, and yeah. when you look at like the Beatles, Sergeant Peppers was considered somewhat of an alter ego. It was more of like they were wanted to wanted to go in a different direction. They wanted to change their image yeah. from these pop, you know, the the little wearing the suit and tie suit. pop guys mm-hmm. to this. So <clears throat> so that's interesting that you mentioned that because it doesn't always work out. And you know, I guess what, it depends on the approach. Sometimes yeah, too. and that seems to be also the theme. There is they whatever their alter ego, which I guess that's the definition of alter ego. But they almost go one eighty opposite of what yeah. they're famous for, and and they put on this persona. Uh, you know, maybe it's something they've always wanted to do, or this is what they they would rather be a you know right uh, viewed as. I I don't know. You know, like Garth Brooks. You know, total country guy. You can't mistake his voice. But as Chris Gaines, he's this rocker. Yeah. You know, it's a, it, it seems to be the common theme there when you're doing the alter ego thing. I can't help but almost think that for, and in, in his situation, it and I believe we touched on that, but maybe that persona of just being the country guy was not... <laughs> You know, sitting with him yeah. all the time, like I want to do something, we'll do something else. different. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. most musicians play all kinds of different music. So maybe he was like, "Hey, man, I, I, well, rock. I'd love to do something." Wasn't yeah. in the scope of Garth Brooks, so he's yeah. like, "Well, let's do this then." Do we know with Chris Gaines was it released under the same label as he was? I have no idea. Signed to? I have no idea. That's something to look into. Yeah, that's yeah, something think, to look into. Yeah. Check that out. You're always doing the fact checks, Marty. You just you uh, uh, let me write that one down. Yeah. yeah, here we go. All right, well, you write that down. I'm going to go into it. So, <clears throat> like I said, continuing off the idea of the alter ego thing, um, this one's kind of a, a twist, or should I say, shout a shake, mm-hmm. or maybe a. <laughs> you feel me, baby? <laughs> You okay. like a mom. I'm not sure who you are right now, but that's funny. <laughs> we, 
<laughs> we did the shout, and now we're doing the twist. We should have did the twist and then the shout. Okay, but, well, yeah. Marty, you've mm-hmm. heard of the 1950s, 60s king of rock, Elvis Presley, right? Uh, yes, I believe I have heard of Elvis a, a Presley. A time or two? <laughs> I used to. I told you that once, didn't I? Mm-hmm. I used to impersonate Elvis Presley when I was oh, a kid. Oh, you did. Yeah. You kind of do have the hips for it, so I, that makes hey, sense. thank you. Yeah, thank welcome. you very much. Yeah. Thank you, mama baby. Yeah. Well, this story is about Orion. Thank you very much. The Elvis behind the mask. Did you like that? I came up with that one. <laughs> I think you're making this up I'm as you go. Up. So, so <clears throat> I kind of gave it away, but it's okay because the, the backstory is a, lot of, is a lot of fun. So starting from the beginning, we've got a gentleman by the name of James Hodges Ellis. Mm-hmm. He was born February 26, 1945. His birthplace is recorded as a mystery, which is pretty suiting for a man mm. with a career uh, like his. Uh, the wiki states that he was either born in... Pascagoula, Mississippi, mm-hmm. Orville, Alabama, or Washington, D.C. Okay. <laughs> yep. His birth certificate states his mother was a secretary named Gladys Bell, and his father was Vernon. No surname. Just Weird. Vernon. Weird. Yeah. Okay. I've heard of no middle name, but never, never no last name. Mm-hmm. So. What's his whole name again? Give me one more time. Which one? That Vernon? It's Vernon. No, but it, the guy you're talking about, James, whatever. Well, his name is James Hodges Ellis. James Hodges Ellis. Gotcha. Yeah. Go ahead. I think I'm saying that right. Anyways. Probably. Someone tell me. Not. Probably not. So his first shot at success was in 1964, and he was playing nightclubs in Georgia where he released his first single, Don't Count Your Chickens. And it was noted quickly that his vocals resembled closely to that of Elvis Presley. Okay. His low timber and smooth sibilance reminded those of the king. And there's always somebody with the master plan. So in comes a gentleman by the name of Shelby Singleton. Have you ever heard of Shelby Singleton? You know, I don't believe I've ever heard of Shelby Singleton. No. (laughs) can honestly say. Okay, well, it seems like he was kind of a little worm in the music industry back then. But let's just... Oh, Shelby the Worm. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Oh, is that what they used to call him? That's his nickname? Yeah, I didn't know. It just was fitting. Okay, so... Shelby Singleton was a record producer for the label Smash Records. Okay. Uh, Singleton was an ex-Marine that worked his way to the top in the music industry as a producer, and it was noted to produce hits from 60s artists like Ray Stevens, Jerry Lee Lewis, Roger Miller, and Brooke Benton. So some pretty top dogs back in the day. Love Roger Miller, love it. Jerry Lee yeah. Lewis, loved yeah, his all, playing. Yeah, all yeah. those guys, yeah. Well, Singleton... Caught ear of Ellis and noticed the close resemblance of Elvis that he saw that he had seen an opportunity to capitalize on. Um, Singleton mysteriously acquired the rights to Sun Records, which was the record label that uh, Johnny or people like Johnny Cash, Elvis, that they were under the Sun Records label. That's what they got most. I remember hearing about Sun Records. Yes. Yeah. Very popular. Yeah. So um, he had gotten hold of uh, Presley songs like "That's All Right, Mama." And Blue Moon of Kentucky. He got a hold of the rights to those the, songs? The rights to, okay. to the catalog of those songs, yeah. Okay. And so he had Ellis overdub his voice onto these songs, and he attempted to release them as lost alternate takes from Presley Sessions of those tunes. Oh, and, and uh, James knew this, Ellis knew this was going on. Of, well, yeah, of course, yeah. Okay, so, got it. Anyways, it... Yeah, I mean, you can see his his whole uh, goal here is to just get popular. And yeah. he sees an avenue, takes it with yeah. his voice, yeah. and the singleton is obviously capitalizing on a shady... So just quickly, the, to be able to capitalize on that, obviously his goal would be that he's going to release these and people are going to buy them and then just going to... They're thinking, them. yeah, they're he has never heard Elvis yeah. recordings before. But now, he couldn't have had... A, he didn't buy the rights completely. Did he? I mean, that's what the—that's the information that I found. Because um, I don't—I don't know. Maybe Sun Records wasn't a big thing at that point. How big? What year was this? This was—it had to have been because what's coming up was like late '60s. So this had to be uh, late '60s, '70s. So this had to be maybe early '60s or so. Especially since Ellis was—he—he he started really touring around 1964 is when he wrote that single "Don't Count Your Chickens." So it was probably. 
between 1964 1970 i assume in the beginning and and while elvis's career was still burgeoning and yeah yeah, well i mean by this time elvis is huge right and so i mean we'll get into that but uh okay yeah carry on so they recorded these sessions with ellis you know pretending to be elvis um, the label that Singleton was under, Smash Records, released the recordings, and instead of listing Ellis's name on the re- on the record, he left the credits labeled with a big question mark. <laughs> so instead of crediting, a, instead of, and he didn't say it was Elvis Presley, mm-hmm. it just credited to question mark. Yeah, leave it up to the listener mm-hmm. to decide. Okay. <clears throat> so um, now, shortly after. Elvis passes. Shortly after, yeah, because uh, Elvis passed nineteen seventy something. Yeah, that was like seventy six or seventy seven, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but so, I thought this was in the sixties, so I'm getting late sixties, seventies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So shortly in term of years, it's still several years. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, enough time for people to recognize this. Yeah. And so. is is Ellis now performing on his own for people as well? That I don't know. I mean, he okay. does later. He does. Well, let me, okay. I don't want to give away too much. So let right. me, let's go. Let's carry on. But My mind answer, is reeling with this these This is a good one. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to answer a lot of your questions here, though. Okay. So Elvis had passed, and the newly released alternates had caught much attention. Uh, so much attention that RCA Records, which would be uh, towards the end of Elvis's career, RCA Records is who he was signed with. Right. Um, it was the label that currently owned all things Elvis threatened to sue Singleton for what it, what they thought was the unauthorized release of an Elvis song. Hmm. It was only after the company hired a sound analysis to perform a voice print on the song and concluded that it wasn't the king. In turn, they dropped the allegations. They had to do that to be sure. Yeah, and wow. a voice print wow. is the... I looked it up. It's the study of biometrics or behavioral characteristics of someone's voice. Um, sure. Typically, they would extract features from voice samples of the source. So they would listen to other takes or samples of Elvis's voice, mm-hmm. and calculate relational similarities between the between the sources. Which nowadays, digitally, would be very easy. Super you could easy. Look at the sound wave. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So sh- shortly after Singleton revived the hoax, so after it had already been released for years, he revived the hoax and released a, some more known hits uh, by Sun Record artists. Um, so it sounds like he bought the whole catalog from Sun Records. Maybe Sun Records had, I'll have to look this up, but I'm guessing they were done out of the game. So he bought the the catalog of their records. That had to be a pretty hefty price tag. Maybe, but at this time he's already, he's working with Smash Records. He okay. worked his way up to being a top producer. So maybe he was able to do that. Okay. I don't I'm know. I'm going to look into Shelby the Worm. He's quite the he's snake kinda, oil yeah. salesman. He's, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. so, okay. So, um, yeah, after that he revives the hoax. And released known hit singles by other Sun artists like Jerry Lee Lewis and Carl Perkins. And on those, he contributes the artists that sing the songs as friend. Friend. So he's really playing up the mystery that Elvis Presley has died, supposedly. And now this mysterious singer is singing these songs like Elvis. Oh, 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 oh. so the whole thing... Which has been the urban legend, which it's probably more than just this situation, but it's always, every time somebody passes, there's like, yeah, Jim Morrison, Elvis, whatever. No, he's not really dead. He just, yeah. Yeah, so this fuels that. Well, and there was that whole conspiracy, and I don't, and maybe it wasn't a conspiracy. Maybe, Maybe in some way it was true. I don't know. I haven't looked into it. But remember the talk about Elvis Presley being... An FBI agent as well. I don't recall that. But okay, well, that yeah, look that up. Me. There's a yeah. whole thing where he was an FBI agent, had to go under witness protection. Anyways, they killed off Elvis so he could go live his life. And of course, they found so many um, people that sound like Elvis or look like Elvis in there. Right. You know, I even remember just a few years ago they had found a homeless guy that resembled Elvis, and they were running DNA testing to see if. <laughs> If it was him, so <laughs> who does that look like? Yeah, that'd be the, yeah, that yeah. Well, that kind of looks like John Prine a little bit, right? 
Well, I thought it looked a little like Elvis. I mean, at least the the hair and the sideburns. That's that looks Shelby. like an early John Prine to me. Okay, an early okay. maybe a little because of the round rounder face. I think that's why. Maybe it was like the look. I saw that right away. It's yeah. a picture of folks. In case you didn't know, I'm looking on my laptop and I looked at the picture of Shelby S. Singleton and I thought he had shades on. He's got the big hair and the sideburns that look kind of like Elvis. I mean, that was a probably a seventies sure. kind of thing. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So, okay. okay, so um, Singleton. Revives the hoax, records other famous artist songs uh, with Ellis singing, and contributes it, the artist singing to as a friend. And the other songs were still the ones of Elvis, though, or was this other people that he was impersonating as well? He's still impersonating. Yeah. Still so basically, okay. it was it was like famous songs by like people like Jerry Lee Lewis that Elvis had recorded. Oh, covered a the, cover of that song. Okay. Yeah. I'm, yep, I'm, yep. I got you. I got so you. it went even as far as the recordings getting endorsed as genuine Presley recordings by the songwriter of these tunes, Doc Promus, which must have been a big writer back then for a lot of these guys. Okay. So it gets even better. Um, in 1978, a writer by the name of Gail Brewer, um, let's see, Gail Brewer G- Giorgio? Something no like idea. that. Yeah, I don't know. He published a novel. Giorgio. Giorgio, yeah. Like Giorgio town. Armani. Giorgio Armani, spaghetti. Yeah. He's like a big Parmesan. Des- fashion designer. I go, we said, that was your impersonation for the day. That was good. So you a little have- Elvis, a little Italian. It's good. good. So you mm-hmm. don't have to do another one just in case you're. <laughs> About it. You don't want me to do that? No, no, by all okay, means. Okay. Feel, feel free. Go ahead. So the novel written by Gail was, uh, they entitled it Orion. And this novel was uh, supposedly fictional, but it was about a lead, lead, leading popular singer who faked his own death. What? Everybody and this thought, Shelby was behind this, too? Nope, nope this no, is no, a different no. guy who okay. just wrote a, wrote a book about a, a really popular singer who faked his death. And everybody thought it was based off of Elvis. Elvis. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So, Singleton being the worm that he was, convinced Ellis to start appearing as Orion and wearing a mask, dyeing his hair black, and wearing similar clothes that Presley wore when he was alive. Okay. So, appearing as this... Uh, persona named Orion and looking pretty dang close. And I, I've looked up pictures and we'll post we'll post a picture of Orion, but he's got mm-hmm. the jet black hair, coned back, just like you described. Yeah. The the um, sideburns, but he's got this mask. So you can't really tell who it is, but sure does look like could possibly be in the right light Elvis. And is it is it how's Orion spelled? <laughs> O R I O N. So like Orion, like the Orion. I the think that's how. No, yeah. I think that's how you pronounce it. Is Orion. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, I I did read that somewhere. Orion. You're okay. Right. Okay. Yep. 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 Sorry about that. that no. Would be good. Uh, I'm glad just, you're here. Just clarifying. Thank yeah, you. Appreciate yeah. that. That's what I'm here for. Um. Let's see. Amongst other things. <laughs> I have another quick question. Sure. And you don't have. And to we're answer we're now, pretty but... much concluded. This is oh, this is the story. Okay. Uh, and I'll finish off kind of what happens to Ellis uh, and the Orion. Kind you of finish, situation. and I'm gonna and then I'll I'll carry my thought forth. Okay. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so he, <clears throat> Ellis went on for years performing as Orion and had gained wide success recording several hit albums and mostly just covering famous songs and sounding like Elvis. Um. In 1983. During a performance, Ellis tore off the mask and proclaimed never to wear it again. Um, good for him. Good for him. However, it pretty much shot his music career. So he attempted to continue playing music as himself, but gained little popularity, later going back to tour as Orion. And then I said, I did read somewhere where he had a shop. He's, he's since passed, but he did have like a little store called Jimmy's uh, something. Jimmy's Shop. Yeah, maybe fact check Jimmy's that. Shop of Horrors? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we'll, we'll fact check. I don't think they. Right I don't think they stocked that. No. Probably not. Um, but what's sad is, to me, it seems like Ellis just he just wanted to pursue a career in life in music, saw an avenue because he sounded like Elvis, and could not get out from underneath that. I mean, it's sad for him, but it's also like, dude. You, you really played on someone's death. You played on somebody's career. Mm-hmm. What the heck, man? Uh, you know, that's where I was going with my question, actually, too, is because just listening to describe this makes me picture this guy who kind of had his his original career taken away. It was like robbed yeah. from him. But at the same time, he's, you know, obviously he's an accomplice in this all because 
he's getting sucked in. It's yeah. about the money. But these guys are pretty persuasive too. these well, promoters the, and producers. Obviously, the and, singleton has to be quite the talker because yeah. he gets the catalog of these songs. Yeah. He convinces Ellis to to sing over these. Yeah. And then he goes as far as to convince or either that or, or Ellis is just super gullible. Don't know. But... So, uh, you know, are broke and needed money, and well, I don't know. Maybe and maybe just... this is an example of a Robert Johnson situation. He's okay. he's pursuing his music career. It's not going anywhere. You know, he's playing these clubs in Georgia, and he gets and somebody hears him says, "You sound like Elvis. I have a proposition for you." Right. So it's either okay, I'll take the left turn and continue to be authentic to my music, right? Or I go this way, dance with the devil a little bit. You know, impersonate yeah. Elvis. Huge success, basically riding the coattail. I like that. Dance with the devil. Dance with the devil. So in his early career, obviously, from what I'm gathering, he wasn't, he never set out to impersonate. He wasn't what we would call an Elvis impersonator originally. Obviously, he did. No, I wouldn't. Because in, like I said, in 1964, he was playing nightclubs in Georgia and he was writing his own music. His right. his most popular song at the time was a song called Don't Count Your Chickens. And I I didn't get that one. But um, and I am going to play a, a clip of of Orion just so we can hear. Oh, absolutely. The similarities. But but yeah, so it's like I think he did. He did want to be um, his own artist. You know, he had was writing his own songs. But of course. He saw a better, better avenue, yeah, this, more monetary avenue, I guess. Yeah, and I, you wonder. I, I, I picture somebody like this, like later on in life, just like, oh, wow, you know, what happened? Where, obviously, he was a good singer mm-hmm. and wanted to be in music. That yep. was his career. Is uh, you know, well, not that he. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's still. But it kind of. I got here. I found something real quick. Sure. Because <clears throat> I'm just looking him up, and it says. Some gal named Finlay, a documentary, suggests that Ellis was the long-lost half-brother of Elvis. Oh, boy. A theory popular with Orion fans, but while Ellis sounded so much like Elvis, he hated the thought of being labeled an Elvis impersonator. Yeah. So much so that he even released a song in 1978 called, I'm Not Trying to Be Like Elvis. Oh, I'm sure. Well, that yeah. kind of that kind of lines up with his big ripping the mask off at the end and saying, "I'm never doing this again." He probably was done with it being compared, and but you're like you're asking for it when you're singing his songs, well, and exactly. pretending to be him and trying to create this mystery of, "I'm Elvis. I never died, but here I'm back again." You know, yeah. which but if you wanted to get out of the spotlight, why would you then re-enter as a masked? You know, I have no idea. Well, it's, I'm guessing at some point, in some juncture in this whole process, he just got sick of it yeah. and said, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. But obviously, till that point, he still was, you know, he was an accomplice, I guess. Or, yeah. or you know, he was he was a character in this whole play that Shelby was putting on. Yeah. And uh, who knows how many years of his career. That I, I guess it sounds like it was quite a big chunk of his career a span of 10 years or so so, i think is what it it said but i mean think about it too to dive into the life of one probably the most successful and popular rock and roller at that time elvis presley that life i mean we've we've heard it in many stories um it's it, it was assumed in stories like michael jackson where you're just in that spotlight you're living that life all the time you end mm-hmm. up hating it you can't go anywhere you can't do anything outside of this career yeah you know you have such such fame that you're limited in, in this lifestyle you can have whatever you want do whatever you want mm-hmm. money is no, no problem you know it, it probably burns you out yeah and that's what happened to Elvis. There was there's documentaries proving that. Oh yeah, and it happens to a lot of them. It's probably what happened to Orion. Good old Jimmy. Good old Jimmy, Jimmy Ellis. So let's listen Orion. to Jimmy Ellis. We're gonna learn listen to Orion singing uh, "Burning Love" here. Um, let's see if I can. <laughs> here we go. Wow. Wow. Very on the dial in. He's not an Elvis impersonator. No. 
Wow. I mean, that's a, to me, I, I can't, I mean, I'm not listening close enough, but that sounds just spitting image of, of Elvis. This is fascinating. I mean, absolutely. You gotta, I can see, and I'm sure it, you know, this obviously <clears throat> happens. People have, you know, tonalities or voice can sound like somebody else. You know, you're a singer. Yeah. I sing like people, oh, you sound like so-and-so. Sure. And, you know, that can happen, but uh, yeah. And that said, Shelby. Shelby came in there and he saw worm, that. Right? Yeah, and he's like, I can somehow. <laughs> this guy sounds so much like Elvis, whether he was wanting to or not. Yeah, he would. The word I was looking for was he was he was complicit, complicit in this this sure. whole uh, charade. There was money was to be on. made. Yep, and he yep. was gonna make it. Yeah, and yeah. then probably regretted it later on. Do you know what it said as far as how he died? Um, the, talking about Ellis. Ellis. I, I did read it, but I don't remember. What You got it up? Well, I, I, I looked it up, and it was one of those things where it automatically lists some questions when you're looking for information about oh, somebody. Yeah. And it uh, so it said, how did Jimmy Ellis die? And I hit it, and then it just said, murder. Whoa. It's all it says. I didn't remember that. Yeah, it says tragedy. Jimmy Orion Ellis tragedy as Elvis Presley doppelganger. Yeah. So this may be something. Doppelganger. That's a good word for it. For yeah. Have, sure. you, heard, have you heard of that before? <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. that. It's like if you and supposedly we all have our doppelganger somewhere in the world, yeah. or maybe more than one, where it's somebody who looks, sounds exactly yeah. like we do. I mean, think of all the millions and millions of people. Yeah. That, my, my wife yeah. says I look like David Harbour. Do you know who David Harbour is? I don't. He's the guy. He well, he plays. Um, he plays the the sheriff, the cop on Stranger Things. You've seen that. Anyways, you, you pull oh, up David yes. Harbour. Yeah, yeah. And so every once in a while, my you know my wife thinks it's pretty cool when David Harbour comes on. Do you know what's funny about that? What's that? Uh, my kids think he looks like our friend Matt. Oh, and I've been, and Matt and I have, and someone told me that I look like Matt. There you go. And you guys Very do good. look similar. Matt, so. you're a good looking guy is all I have to say. You got three doppelgangers there then. You got Jarrett. David and, and Matt. I think you just have a case of really handsome men, and of course they're just going to have similarities. Matt, am yeah. I? Is that about right? You let me know in, in the comments, brother. Why well, it's not now? It's not working. I was <laughs> your buzzer. I was going to buzz him. Is it because my phone's plugged in? Oh, there it is. There we go. I'm a little late with that, but. Good, good. Well, so that's it. That's Orion. That's a wrap. Elvis is doppelganger. Then. That's a good word for it. Uh, not quite an alter ego, but I thought this is pretty interesting. We better talk about this. This is one of those things which we've experienced a lot before, and sometimes we carry it forth into another episode. Sometimes we don't, but it's kind of like with the Edith Piaf and yeah. you know the story about the smoke on the. There's always things where you just can't help, but your brain gets spinning and you want to know more. Yeah. Uh, this is one that I. I think on my own, I would imagine just because I'm looking in here and seeing the stuff about how he died and, and everything else. I'm curious. Uh, I mean, we could obviously talk about it and sit here and do research now, which we're not going to do right now because you'd buzz me or I'd buzz you. But That's right. <laughs> but it's fascinating. And I could see exploring this one. Oh, my gosh. So road, fascinating so. that think about the, the conspiracies that oh, people have come up with probably around, geez, that you, if yeah. you followed all of these, just how convincing they probably all sound because there's such mystery behind it, especially mm. since he got murdered. I mean, yeah, this is getting weird, man. And I want to uh, see, that's the one I'm going to have to check out for sure. Um, and I probably don't cause it's not for some reason, my, I don't know, my wifi wasn't working here, but when I looked for the part about murder, but that part I have to dig, yeah. dig into well, and find out. Let's bring out it back. Let's bring yeah, it back next uh, episode. We'll we'll follow up with it. I should have followed up with that, but I was just really focused on Orion and and the you know the the comparison and theft of yeah Elvis. Well, you did a thank you because that's that's a great you know you're just talking about. You did a little more in scratch surface, obviously, but that's mm. a great portrait of this alter ego. Yeah, another another alter ego that we yeah. we can explore even more. And once again, maybe different factors that motivate this alter ego. Sure. This one was motivated by money. Money. It yeah. sounds like a lot. Yeah, and just by the fact that here's a guy that sounds like Elvis. Almost yeah. sounds exactly like Elvis. So. Wish I sounded like Elvis. I did, did I tell you that? I, <laughs> I, I did a little bit. I reflected on it here, but I used to actually, and this was in a probably like fifth and sixth grade, it went so far as at the end of our little music class, you know, when you're sitting there with your books and everybody's singing. Uh -huh. No, actually it wasn't at the end. It was at the beginning. 
Um, I had a friend, I can't even think of his name, one of my classmates. He's like, I'm your manager. Because he heard me singing like Elvis once. Uh He's like, I'm your manager. And then he would ask the teacher and they would have me go up in front of the class and do my my Elvis impersonation. (laughs) And then... (laughs) Hello, fifth grade. How are y'all doing in there, baby? (laughs) Well, I can't imagine because here I am, my voice hasn't even gone through. Hello, fifth grade. How are (laughs) you? That's awesome, though, We had a little show called The American Potpourri. That was the coolest thing. It was a brand new school that they had just opened in Aberdeen and it had kind of like this open classroom concept. Mm-hmm. And and it was really neat experience as a kid, but every year, and when I was in fifth grade was the very first year that it opened. Hmm. We had the same teacher, fifth and sixth grade. Yeah. We did a variety show show called the American Potpourri and I did my Elvis impersonation. And then. you were Elvis. But here was the problem, because they didn't have the right equipment for me to use a microphone, so they'd actually have me just sing to the record. So I'm up there singing and the record's playing as well. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, he sounds just like it. (laughs) Turn it up, teach. (laughs) But what a, yeah, what a, yeah. That's cool, Precious little memory. Sure. Yeah. Those are good. Yeah. Those are what uh, you're built off of. You build off of from there and. That's right. Yeah. Building blocks that make us who we are. So I dig that you touched on Elvis because I've always been a huge fan of Elvis. Who's not? I mean, heck. Yeah. Elvis is such an amazing voice. I remember the day he died. You weren't even born, though, were you? Was not even a twinkle (laughs) in the old eye of Mama Weimer. No. Uh, You could have been living as a dog or something in another life. That's (laughs) probably. No, we talked about this. I was a killer whale, remember? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You were an orca. An orca. Very good. Yeah. Very good. So that's wow. it, man. That's what I got for you. That that was fun. That's, that could probably be enough for this episode. I don't know. <laughs> Gee whiz. That's, I, I really, yeah, I'm really excited about looking towards that one down the road a bit. Sure. We'll see about maybe in the next episode even. Uh, something else that we will not follow through on. <laughs> well, not, not that I'm suggesting we won't. But uh, we did talk last time about the royalty scenario, the streaming royalties. Oh, yeah. Chris Gaines. Uh, didn't have a chance to look into that too much, but that'll be something else. Well, Just in case you're out there going, why aren't they talking about that royalty conversation? And I again? don't know if we can have a conclusive discussion about it because it's an ongoing issue. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, the streaming and digital downloads from my understanding is a hard thing to track right now and to be able to properly pay out those royalties and where they mm-hmm. where they go i it's probably going to be tough and and i'm and it's not like you're selling a bunch of cds cds are kind of thing of the past they're making car stereos that don't have a cd player in them anymore yeah and for me yeah. that's weird you know but that's that's how it's always been happened to eight tracks happened to tapes mm-hmm. records are coming back but those are well, it's because it's a nostalgic thing. It's a cool thing. Yeah, yeah, the vinyl thing, which I didn't yeah. find. There's nothing more on that. I did look. No new news on the burning of a- uh, Atlas, was it? Yeah, the Atlas. Or Apollo. Uh, Apollo, thank you. Yeah. Apollo record plant. Um, but we're going to continue to follow that. And, well, that's good. These are just conversations that uh, we continue having. And if we hear stuff about maybe, Yeah, maybe it's well, an ongoing conversation. We'll just keep our eyes yeah, on it. Yeah, I would say. I would say. Okay. So, moving on, I have... Which was prompted by following up about our story about Tom Petty and these urban legends are, it all started with people misunderstanding lyrics. It's interesting. I find these two topics to be kind of related because you do have like different motivating factors with the alter egos and the same thing with these songs. The the, the misstories of the songs. Yeah. Misunderstandings. Yeah. Now, the thing I wanted to see when I started looking into this again was, is there an actual, like, where is, what's the origin of this story? Sure. And so from what, what I've been able to dig up, it doesn't seem like it's, it's, in a lot of these is not really possible to find what the origin is of this because it just, it just happens. It's kind of like with this stuff, it's not necessarily... You know, there's A follows B, C, whatever. Yeah. It's just things just happen. And I think I found one explanation. It says, for whatever reasons, this is under origins, perhaps as a way to make sense of otherwise enigmatic lyrics. Oh, boy. What does that mean? Do you know what that means? Not at all. Uh, I, that was one of those words where I probably could use it and not really know for sure. But basically, sure. it's just mysterious. Mm. It's like a mysterious. Enigmatic. Yeah, so otherwise enigmatic or mysterious lyrics are perhaps just for fun, or perhaps it's a bit of both. Hmm. 
So I could see that. I think it is. And I think we touched on that the first time. It's like while you're listening to a song, you get emotionally attached to that song and it starts to just have personal meaning for you. So it's easy to want to follow if you do hear a story or if you maybe yourself like, oh, what if this? What if that? And suddenly you have hatched an an urban legend. Yeah. Well, just a thought, Mm -hmm. because I do this all the time, but when I love a song, I create this own meaning in my head, what I think it's about. And sometimes that's that's a cool thing that you can relate to a song to a certain degree, even though it may not be written about that specific thing, but whatever's going on in your life, that's how you relate to the lyrics could be a situation like that here. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think so. I think that's kind of what happens. I <laughs> I think it's interesting uh, with the Tom Petty thing, what I did find out when I was trying to discover the origin is that there was even more to the whole thing about connecting him to Florida because they did say this this uh, a suicide attempt for the American girl mm-hmm. happened in Florida. And he apparently lived in Florida. But he, uh, in his book again, he said, I'll meet students from Gainesville and they'll say, yeah, we party in your old house on Halloween. So he says, there's this tradition that they go to my house, whoever's renting it at the time, and have this big party, but he never lived in a house in Gainesville. Really? (laughs) He never did. He said, I lived in apartments. I lived in my mom's house where I know they're not throwing a party. (laughs) (laughs) So that's also a myth. Someone got a house and said, this is where he lived. And that tradition has gone on and on. And every time I tell them it's not true, they go, ah... And then it says he chuckles, and he's like, I'm almost tempted to just go, oh, great, because I don't want to pop their balloon. Sure. So oh, that's s- nice of yeah, him to care enough about that. I just love him even more when you read about him. Just Somebody probably him. wrote on, like, a door frame, Tom was here, and they're like, dude, bro, bro, Tom Petty <laughs> was here, man. Yeah, he lived in Florida. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah, man. <laughs> Tell you what, let's throw a kager Every year on Halloween to honor Tom at his house because it says Tom was here. Uh, I could just see it. I bet this happens with I, there's probably dozens of artists where that's the case. Where it's yeah. like, yeah, you know, I went to uh, I was in California and I drove by so and so's house. It's like, yeah, are you sure? You know, they used to do the Beverly Hills tours. You'd buy drive and they by were celebrity not homes. their house, right? Yeah, sometimes I've heard that later. Sometimes you don't even know if that was their house, but it, it's easy. You just have to take a look and. <laughs> Tell them it is, and sure. who's going to argue? Right, argue with that. So this, however, led me to what I find as being even more fascinating, because um, actually I got to look this one up on my computer here because I didn't print it out. Have you ever heard? You know the song "Fire and Rain" by James Taylor. James Taylor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, did you ever hear any stories about that? Have you ever thought about that? No, I probably have not investigated. Love the song, but I've never really investigated into the story behind it. Great oh. lyrics, by the way. Oh, it's brilliant. This is the song that essentially launched his career. Okay. Uh, that's what they say. I mean, it was his first big hit, and it's a phenomenal song. It's yeah. amazing. So as I was researching Tom Petty's uh, story about American Girl, uh, and I had heard this story, it says, Does the song Fire and Rain chronicle the death of a singer of singer james taylor's girlfriend in a plane crash oh so you've never heard that no okay so i have heard this and i haven't ever taken the time to investigate it yeah. so to speak but i always just assumed i mean if you listen to the lyrics um and i remember hearing the story it's like yeah that was james taylor's girlfriend she died in a plane crash here's the lyrics it's like uh they let me know you were gone uh, Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you. Um, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. Um, talks about later uh, sweet dreams and flying machines and pieces on the ground. Jeez. So Yeah, okay. So here's the thing. Some listeners tried to make sense of the words by reading literal meaning into them, and Taylor's audience collectively developed an autobiographical storyline for his fire and rain lyrics. <laughs> so according to that, in quotes, real story... Uh, some of James' friends were going to surprise him by bringing his girlfriend, Suzanne, to one of his concerts, unbeknownst to him. So according to the story, Suzanne's plane crashed, which is sweet dreams and flying machines and pieces on the ground, on her way to see the concert, and Suzanne dies. 
Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you. Holy Suzanne, crap. the plans they made. And I, I, you know, I know, I don't obviously remember the very first time I ever heard the story. Yeah. But this was something that I just kind of understood the song to be about. So sure. in this fan-based interpretation, Suzanne, the girl who has now gone, had been Taylor's girlfriend. They were frequently separate as he traveled. They kept in, uh, kept in close touch, spending hours of time on the telephone line talking about good things to come. So seeing how bummed out Taylor was at being away from his love, his friends arranged to have her fly out as a surprise. She accepted uh, plane crash. She was killed. And that's the story. So although James Taylor's Jeez. song is indeed, it's autobiographical, this just fascinates me. It doesn't match that heart-wrenching storyline in the popular legend. So by the time the song established him as an international pop star at the tender age of 22... Wow, what a young age. Yeah, and I didn't realize that too, and especially this part of the story, they said he had already experienced plenty of psychological and physical pain, which he could draw in crafting his lyrics. He had a history of depression and substance abuse. I always thought that was more later in his career. Sure. But apparently even... Makes for great songs, I guess. Well, no kidding. That's what they're saying. (laughs) You know, he obviously at a very young age had things that he could draw upon did you know this? He uh, was in a motorcycle accident, which broke his hands Whoa. and feet and prevented him from picking up the guitar for several months, oh, too. I, I tell everybody this, and not to not to segue off to something else, but... Go ahead. Uh, I'll I buzzer don't, you if I have to. And this is... Um, I'll confess. Yeah, I'll confess. <laughs> I don't touch chainsaws. I don't touch stuff like that. Yeah. Because I am deathly, frigidly scared of cutting off my fingers like that's a that's a nightmare for me because it's like then you're done i mean you you can't play guitar anymore and if i can't play guitar i feel like i can't be expressive yeah that would be that would be really tough and so i'm with you holy buckets that's that would be tough to experience breaking your hands and feet oh yeah not being able to walk not being able to play music you know, I did operate for years a chainsaw, and it took me a while. And I think there was a friend that was probably, it might have been Craig Crothers who mentioned something along those lines. And I think, you know, it was a thought, but it wasn't something that I took as seriously as I do now. Mm-hmm. And I'm the same way now. I don't want to be running chainsaws anymore. I don't want to do something that would risk that, especially yeah. you know, as you get older, too, and you realize how important that is to have that outlet to be able to play, but uh, I had no idea. This is, we had the motorcycle accident with uh, Bob, Bob Dylan, Dylan, right? Yeah. Never heard about this. Yeah. With, with Jeez. Him. So, and I don't mean to get ahead, no. but does James ever explain the story behind? He does, Jarrett. Okay. He does. <laughs> I'm pulling a Marty. I'm, I'm seeking wanting I like more. <laughs> I like it because sometimes it's like, well, that just happens to be what we're going to talk about Sweet. next. Okay, too. cool. So apparently, uh, Fire and Rain had three verses. And this is the the parts that I'm I'm referencing here are actually uh, taken from interviews with James. He said the first verse is about my reaction to the death of a friend. The second verse is about my arrival back in this country with a monkey on my back. So he apparently he moved to London hmm. for a while, mm-hmm. came back, and he was suffering with addiction at that point okay. in time. And he says, "Oh, and there is Jesus, an expression of my desperation and trying." He talks about. He mentions Jesus. I think that comes up later in the song. And he says that's his desperation in trying to get through the time when his body was aching and the time was at hand when he had to do something. And the third verse of the song refers to my recuperation in Austin Riggs, which was a uh, you know facility for uh, abuse, drug abuse, or whatever it may be, sure. which lasted about five months. So the Suzanne mentioned in the lyric was actually, it wasn't a girlfriend or a fiancé. It was just an acquaintance. It was a friend of his that he met when he lived in New York and was performing with friend Danny Korchmar, Joel O'Brien. They were in a group called The Flying Machine. Oh, okay. So as quoted in a biography, Taylor said, I knew Suzanne well in New York. We used to hang out together. We used to get high together. (laughs) I think she came from Long Island. She was a kid like all of us. So he had relocated to London. He was in the middle of finishing uh, his debut album, which he was actually with Apple Records, the Beatles label at the time. Okay. So he found out that she committed suicide, Suzanne. Oh, jeez. Several months later, another suicide story. Mm. Here we go. But this is the true story. And apparently his friends 
withheld the information from him because they didn't want to distract him from his career because he was in the okay. process of, of finishing an album. So by the time he left London for the United States, uh, was battling addiction, went into the hospital. Um, that's where he talks about the the second verse. Oh, here's what he says about the friends. He's like, they, she killed herself. They decided not to tell me. I didn't find out until six months after it happened. That's why the line, they let me know you were gone, came up. And I was always, he said he always felt bad about that line because it says the plans they made put an end to you. Uh, he, he meant not the actual plans, but more like the universal plans like God or the fates sure. may put an end to you. And he said he always felt bad. He thought he wondered if her parents thought he was talking about them or something when, oh. he, when he said that. And obviously, I don't know if he ever you know addressed that or not. But well, uh, And, I, and I take it as like his friends their plan to hold it from him and then telling him like their plan put an end to you in my life because I thought you were alive. You uh-huh. told me and that was the, like that was the end of you. Like I didn't realize, you know? Well, and that's what it sounds like in the songs. Yeah. It's like these friends plan this. You can see how this story, mm-hmm. it was woven into existence. It's like, sure. They made this plan to surprise him. Yeah. Could you imagine if that was true and you were his friends and you're like, Oh geez, sorry, James, James, we got to tell you somebody. Yeah. Yeah, man. Holy uh, buckets. That's, I mean, that's just as equal sad of a story as the misinterpreted, um, story that, that they thought. With the plane well, yeah, it actually, it kind of is. It's a, a different twist. There was somebody named Suzanne. That's why I found this one even more fascinating because it has a connection to reality. It's not just a complete, well, it's still an urban legend, yeah. but there is at least a person who is Suzanne. She did indeed die by committing suicide. Uh-huh. Uh, just a little bit more and I'll wrap this up because I, I just got so sucked in that I was, you know, sure. uh, reading into more and finding out some more information. So the group, the flying machine that he was in, uh, here's a new word for you, Jarrett, the nader. You ever the heard of that? The nader? N-A-D-I-R. The nader. The nader. It means the low point. The so low. Like low point. So I didn't, I even had to look that one up. The so, nader. Yeah. The, the <laughs> nader for the band, the flying machine was there in Bahamas and it was a failing night spot called the joker's wild club so him and that group (laughs) they had bad food no pay they returned disbanded once their flight landed in new york that sounds like a major nader yeah sadder (laughs) sadder still was taylor's horrifying descent just before the flying machine had hit career turbulence and begun to lose altitude into full-blown heroin addiction which i hate to get but so that's the third and fourth verse uh where he was in this uh, facility austin riggs and He struggled with depression, strove against heroin addiction, and experienced the disappointment of a bad ending in his fledgling musical career. Thus, the illusion in the song's final line about sweet dreams and flying machines in pieces on the ground. So the band and his dreams. What a brilliant writer, right? Yeah, so let me get this straight. It's basically a compilation of different happenings in his life, this whole song. Wow. Yeah, so really you've got a... It's not just just about Suzanne. It's about his experiences with addiction, his experience going to London, his experience in this prior band. Yeah, with all of that stuff. So it's really... And it's interesting that that is... It makes sense that that song, what a well-crafted song and what what a... You know, talk about something that comes from the core of who you are and you can get that in this song. You know, it's a... It's an emotional song. He's very good at... Yeah, I, I find it hard to... If I'm really wanting to write about something uh, that happened in my life, I find it hard to bring it to words. Right. So I think he did an amazing job. He did. And and to wrap it up, it says, Thus, the illusion in the song's final line about sweet dreams, flying machines, and peace on the ground is not merely an indirect reference to shattered ambitions and ruined lives, but a sly direct reference to a previous professional failure. So although James Taylor's eponymous debut album was not a tremendous commercial success, he sufficiently overcame the personal issues with which he had been grappling to leave Apple Records, hmm. sign with Warner Brothers, and record an album, here we go, Sweet Baby James, Nice. that propelled by the success of its second single, Fire and Rain, reached a lofty number three position on the Billboard charts in 1970, and the rest is history. Boom. Yeah. James. Nice one, dude. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? Good job. Oh, thank you, Jared. Man. Good job with the Orion. I like that. I yeah. like that. We're having fun. We're having fun chatting These about this These are the stuff, stories yeah. that make it 
I mean, there's many reasons that make this worthwhile, but when you many find matters, many matters, mostly. yeah, <laughs> when you stumble on stories like this, uh-huh. it gets us, I mean, tenfold excited gets and then to be able flowing. to share it. Yeah. yeah. And we hope you enjoy them as much. We, Absolutely. We trust that Absolutely. you will. So. Well, you've been listening to Outside the Mic. I'm Jarrett Weimer. And I'm Martin Meyer. Thanks for tuning in. Tune in next time on Outside the Mic every other Monday where we will once again banter all matters music mostly, mostly matters musical. (laughs) Check out uh, OutsideTheMic.com and you can find us on all streaming podcast platforms, Outside the Mic. Thanks, Outsiders. Thanks for listening. See you. Outside the Mic.